You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show host and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. And now, here's your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. And well, we've got a special guest on, but first of all, I'm going to introduce my co-host, Mr. Twist himself, Mr. Josh Webb. Ah, thanks, buddy. And and let me personally thank you on air for the half dozen Krispy Kreme donuts that came to me (laughs) as a total surprise one morning. Uh, You don't know happiness unless you've had a half dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. It's delivered to your house at like nine thirty in the morning. Well, I know for you. No apparent reason. Well, I know you have your, a sweet tooth. Your, your colleague, colleague, being awesome. I know. Hey, <laughs> just for no apparent reason, donuts appeared at my house, and that's an amazing start to any day. Well, you know, I kind of, uh, I've been teasing you over and over with all the cinnamon rolls and donuts and stuff like that, and I figured, you know you what? You were just teasing me, hey, man. We got a guest on the show that was pissed off about that tweet too. We'll address <laughs> that. We'll address that BS later in the show, uh, but yeah, man, you can't you can't post deliciousness like that to social media and expect to get away with it. It's either share with the community or keep that stuff under wraps. Well, you know, I I had to do it, you know, because I've been doing that, and then I figured, you know what, Josh needs something just to make his day a little bit better. But that being said, you were talking about our our special guest today. And that is Mr. Matt Kinnerly from SB Nation. So, Matt, how are you doing today? Well, I do appreciate being called special. So, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Well, we, we appreciate you taking uh, time out of your busy schedule to join us. Um, and so, we know how, how busy things can get, especially with uh, doing class and trying to juggle all of your uh, SB Nation stuff. And we, we just appreciate you joining us when, whenever you have a time. So, uh, yeah, of course, Josh, uh, I know uh, we are kind of tight on time today, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you so that you can start getting the ball rolling on what it is that uh, we have uh, Matt joining us for today. Yeah, I, I mean, today we're going to you know talk with Matt, get get basically a season review with Fresno of Fresno, talk about where things stand and, and, and really maybe we'll. What needs to be what needs to be ha- what needs to happen moving forward? Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about Matt is that he's sort of got this balanced perspective. That's not to say that for anytime you get in the media, I think only people in the media get this. Like when you get in, into beat writers, don't let anybody fool you. There are blatant homers. Like it just exists. And, and it's so not difficult at all to figure out which guys either do or don't like have these. And I'm not going to say agendas because I hate that word. But for lack of a better word, that's all I can really come up with. It's it, I don't really think it's an agenda. I think it's more of a, a maybe a subconscious biasy. Uh, but so many people just refuse to to look at things through a, a complete lens. And I feel like it comes down to the master's degree, dang it. Like, I feel like that's really where it's at. And, 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 and like, Matt's my master's buddy here. So that's why I enjoy having <laughs> him on is he's got this really, like, tempered tempered look at, at Fresno State. So, you know, Matt, 
uh, first of all, let me say welcome. And, and I'll kick things off and just sort of like get the ball rolling by asking you. Got let me just give me your knee jerk reaction to to the three and nine season. Everybody said this season could be this, and Bulldog fans fought it, man. They said there's no way a season like that is coming. What you got? Well, when I did the the preview podcast for Mountain West Connection, I believe I, I kind of raised a lot of eyebrows because I thought that the Bulldogs would go four and eight before the season. You know, a lot more people were you know, optimistic that they would at least get to bull eligibility if they wouldn't be a spectacular team. Um, but I think you and me and everybody else know nobody saw this kind of decline coming. Um, you know, when you're writing the same kind of recap week after week, it gets hard to kind of say the same things in different ways. But, you know, now that the, the season has, uh, you know, it's kind of in the rear view by about a week or so, and you know the the, the you know the corpses kind of cooled and stiffened a little bit, and I've been able to get a little bit of perspective. You can kind of see two different narratives. You know, and the first one is that you know when you compare the team to how it was last year, and when you compare it to how it was two years ago, you can see kind of a steady decline. Where you know two years ago when Derek Carr was a senior. This was one of the most explosive offenses in the nation, and you know it was complemented by you know a bend but don't break defense that thrived on creating turnovers. You know, and last year the narrative shifted a little bit, where it was an inconsistent team on both sides of the ball. You know, very rarely were they not putting together complete games. I think I can remember two, you know, that I can off the top of my head. And this year, it was just kind of like the bottom falling out. You know, the defense, you know, was kind of ground into a fine dust, and the offense just never found any kind of traction. The competing narrative is that, you know, this is kind of a crash course for a team that in a year or two could be pretty good. And, you know, that kind of second perspective has really dawned on me in the last week or so, just seeing some of the figures that have come out as far as what this team accomplished with the personnel that it had you know if you go to gobulldogs.com you can see that they have this list of like first time starters and the bulldogs had 21 different guys starting for the first time and if you look at the other teams on that list you can see you know on the one hand you get teams like tcu and florida state who are like you know, reloading and competing for playoff spots year after year USC, but on the flip side they- Maybe <laughs> all <laughs> the I mean, way down the, there at the bottom. <laughs> but on but on the flip side, you've got other teams on that list that like they're bottoming out and starting over. Like UCF and Kansas are at the very top of the list. You know, Oregon State might have been the worst team in the Pac-12. You know, Troy and Texas San Antonio. Obviously, the Bulldogs belong in that second part. And you know, it's hard to fault the team that's this young that has this much turnover, especially at key positions throughout the year, them that much. And, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about the quarterback situation, but when you consider that they had, you know, a lot of turnover along the offensive line, you know, they were starting, you know, freshman at linebacker at defensive line, you know, all throughout the year, they were shuffling guys in and out. And it's really hard to find any kind of consistency when that kind of thing happens. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of the obvious failings, 
But if you want to take the optimistic point of view on it, you can see that this is a team that you know, took more lumps than anybody expected. And in a year or two, this is a team that, you know, if things come together the way that they could, you know, they could rebound and challenge San Diego State for the title in a, in a year or two. But that's the big if, you know, now that we've you started to learn more about the, the coaching turnover and everything like that with Shram being out, questions about Nick Toth. Um, that's kind of the biggest if at this point is, will it come together? Yeah, and I... And I think that one of the things that plays into both of those narratives is, is how you look at the recruiting and attrition picture. Because on the one hand, you're absolutely right. This is a young and talented team, and everybody keeps pointing to that. But on the other hand, uh, the biggest, for me, and most curious thing is, is where are they going to get that production from? Because guys that they do have haven't quite come along the juco success hasn't been there for fresno state at all <laughs> i mean juco has just been a failure for them like going that route uh so so really what you're looking at are all these guys coming up from high school but if you go back and you look at the classes the the best players in all those classes are, are gone tyrell robinson not necessarily counted in the class but definitely some Somebody that Bulldog fans are excited about. Gone. Laz and Ulatu. Gone. Uh, you've got Jacob Hicks. Gone. Bobby Johnson from that offensive line. Gone. Ben Simons from that offensive line. Gone. Uh, Art Gomez, who can't. Gone. You know, you, you've you got all these guys who've come in. And there's really nothing in the pipeline on, on the offensive line. For me, when I look at Nor. The, the problems start for Fresno State, and I think a lot of college football teams up front. If, if you have guys who can win in the trenches, you can mask a lot of sins that you have on either offense or on defense. Because if your offensive line can give you time, you can make winners out of even the most average receivers. See Tom Brady. Uh, but but it, it, on the defensive side, if you can get per- – pressure on the opposing quarterback, then then you don't necessarily have to worry about covering guys for too terribly long. For me, it all, all starts in the trenches, and I'm curious where they're going to get that talent. Uh, um, as you look at the recruiting and what you've seen, what you've noticed, what you've covered, is there still reason to be optimistic, or does this then take fans into the pessimistic slide? You know, I, I try to be optimistic. I try to be realistic, but I try to be optimistic, too. And I think what you can take away is, you know, at least a couple of guys were able to get, you know, some much needed help at those kind of key positions you were talking about. You know, guys like, you know, Aaron Mitchell and sorry, I'm looking at people who got like handfuls of starts throughout the year, um, like Micah St. Andrew, you know, guys like that, you know, maybe they didn't play all that well. You know, you're talking about a line that as a whole at least on offense, that gave up the most tackles for loss in the country. You know, if you want to take the optimistic point of view, you could argue that you can't get any worse than dead last in that regard. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of guys that they've recruited. You know, you point out that, you know, yes, they've lost guys to attrition that you don't necessarily expect um, from each, you know, recruiting class. But at the same time, if they're stacked at one position, or another they're stacked at wide receiver and they're stacked i believe on the offensive line for whatever reason my laptop is giving me issues of pulling up the 
official roster. But, you know, they've still got guys who, you know, are freshmen or were redshirt freshmen who I would expect to get a shot to see what they can do in spring camp. Um, you know, whether it all comes together by August is another question entirely. But I think that they still have options. And I can imagine with the coaching staff kind of being on the hot seat as they will be going into next fall that, you know, they'll be looking at every single guy that they have now and seeing what works and who can step up basically. And as you sort of look at the landscape of, of, of college coaches who are either, I don't want to say being let go because I think everybody's been let go, but I feel like there's more rotation to come if, if only because guys are going to get, poached which is going to create openings at other schools um what would looking around the nation you know shram's gone who do you bring in well i mean not that i know anything about anything or that i have sources like you guys do but you know i see a lot of the discussion on on the bark board especially about oh we got to bring in a fresno state guy we got to bring in a fresno state guy and personally, I don't understand why you would want to limit yourself. To me, it's the same kind of ideology that, you know, certain fans rail against the fact that, you know, why are they bringing in so many guys from Texas? And it's like, well, that's where the talent is. You know what I mean? So, so you know, one name that I thought of, and I just, I don't know what kind of interest he has, if any, or whether the university has reached out to him at all, but I was thinking about a guy like, He's a guy who had previous head coaching experience. You know, he's been. Do you, the want, to, do you want, want to say that name? You, you, you're, you're, you, you literally cut out and then came right back in. <laughs> oh, I without apologize. the name. I was talking about. <laughs> I was referring to Jeff Jagodzinski, the offensive coordinator at Georgia State. You know, he's a guy that in the last couple of years he runs a spread down in Atlanta. You know, he has previous head coaching experience. He has experience developing quarterbacks, which is one of the things that, you know, we all know is was kind of the big, you know, you know, red marks on Tram's, you know, final, you know, evaluation that he wasn't developing quarterbacks the way that we all felt that he should. Um, and, you know, you're talking about a team that was in a, you know, a top 20 passing offense. And, yeah, it was in the Sun Belt. That's a guy that's making $150,000 right now. And, you know, if the, the rumors that you and others have discussed is that, you know, there's money in the budget to give raises to assistants, you know, those are the kinds of guys that you, you could start thinking about. Um, that's just kind of one example of the, the way that I view coaching staff is, you know, you don't want to limit yourself. You want to find a guy that has, you know, a recent history of success in my opinion, and that runs a similar kind of system to what you've already run. Because we've all seen that the spread can work. It was only two years ago that this was the most dynamic offense in the country. It's just a matter of finding a guy who can adjust and help, you know, build this young team, you know, into the next iteration of that offense, basically. Yeah, I wanna I wanna flesh that out because that that's the first time I've heard this name uh, in, in regard to the OC position. And, you know, usually when you read these type of articles or hear these type of, I, you know, I call them hot takes because most of the time they are, but we'll say opinions, uh, usually pie in the sky or like, okay, I can see why you think that I'm just not sure that's successful. 
this is one of those times where I'm like, damn, I wish I'd thought of that. Um, one of the things that astonishes me the most about Jagodzinski, and, and for those who don't know, like as Matt said, he was a former head coach. He was actually the head coach at BC, and the guy crushed it when he was there. Uh, the only reason he was no longer the head coach is because I think didn't he go and interview for a position and like lied to BC about it? I think is what it was. I remember. No, it, I think something he, he along asked for those, permission, and they just fired him. They're like, okay, f you, like you're out, right? Is it? It was something crazy like that, right? Yeah, he asked for permission. If I remember correctly, they said no, and then he did it anyway. So they fired him. And then he went to Tampa Bay. He went to Tampa Bay and was their OC for a couple of years during the Josh Freeman era. And then I think he was out for a year. And then he ta- and then he uh, he managed, really he managed Dusty Dvorak and in, in, in Jeremiah Masoli at the Omaha Nighthawks for a year. Don't ask me why yeah, I exactly. actually know the roster of that 2010 team. I just do. Yeah. It happens to fall in line with the same time, same time that Jason White actually. Uh, uh, What's the politically correct term for when a dude prevents another dude uh, uh, from being able to, to date a girl? The, the politically uh, correct term. I know what the term is, <laughs> so let's go with that. That's what he did. Yeah, Jason White, former Heisman winner, actually did that to me. That's my like, – <laughs> never had that happen before, and it happened to me by Jason White. One day I'm going to tell that story. Um but anyway, uh, yeah, this this guy, he, he he's a talent on offense and, and his head coaching record at BC was 20 and eight. And yet he sort of mired through the landscape of of coordinatorship and position coaching since that awful debacle. And now, as you mentioned, he's there as the OC at Georgia State. And what Georgia State's rise in the college football ranks for those who haven't followed it. Uh, is helped, A, by the instant talent in Georgia that just completely gets overlooked on a national level. Nobody talks about them being one of the best states in the nation for talent. They're so good. Um, and and two, th- they've had a very explosive offense that has able to, enabled them to keep up in games. I think that ja- Jagosinski is so off the beaten path and, and for whatever reasons so not mentioned – often enough for anything that that if you were to hire him at Fresno State as the offensive coordinator, I feel like you could get him for several years. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. I just, you know, the, the situation that the university is in, I don't think you can afford to be picky. I think that he's emblematic of the fact that, you know, we should keep an open mind about the search that we're conducting, be, not only because you know, the offense was basically a flaming dumpster fire last year. But, you know, this is a team that, you know, needs some stability. This is the team that knows what it wants to do. And he's a guy that does that and has done it pretty successfully for the last couple of years. Um, Yeah, like I said, I just think he's emblematic of a bigger idea that we shouldn't be choosy. (laughs) No, I I love the hire, man. It's it, it or I guess it's the potential. Uh, I would love that hire. It, it, I feel like there are only so many coordinators that you can swoop up on, on that would fly under the radar that you could get and, and do something with to have that success. About the only negative that I can come up 
to come up with for, for Jagosinski is that DeRuder is so out of favor with the Fresno State crowd right now that despite anything that happened at BC, the, the very first time, like, Jagosinski's offense, like, put up 50 and DeRuder's defenses gave up, like, 60, people would be like, just make him the head coach. Look at what he did at BC with Matt Ryan. We've got to give this guy the job. And then all of a sudden you end up with this huge crap storm in the locker because DeRuder's so inexperienced as a head coach on a national level that almost anyone you bring in with more experience than him creates the potential for like, uh, uh-uh. uh, so if, if DeRuder does not want to go for a big name, is there somebody else out there that, that you think would, would be a great fit? Maybe, maybe, a. uh, a guy who poses no threat. You know what? I, Off the top of my head, I don't have any names. That's just when I was thinking about that concept of, oh, you know, we need Jeff Tedford or, you know, in the case of someone who was fired, I believe yesterday, Frank Signetti, Fresno State guy. It's like, well, OK, but do we really need to have someone with Fresno State connections? Um, I like you know, Tyson I Helton out there. What? Western Kentucky, man. Clay Helton made his move. You know he might want to bring on his brother, but I don't know if Helton would risk that in his first year of nepotism. But if you look at that Western Kentucky offense, the tempo, the spread, what they can do, I think moving over from Western Kentucky to a Mountain West school, I I think Tyson Helton, it gets him one step closer to ultimately being at USC with his brother if he keeps the job long term. But it also enables him to build a solid resume with, as you said, a roster of people. Yeah, and I mean, we all know what kind of team this wants to be. This is never going to be a team, you know, that's going to have a San Diego State type of a defense. You know, this is a team that's going to be led with its offense. And, you know, you need a defense that's able to kind of gamble wisely, you know, create opportunities for the offense, you know, we all saw throughout the season that there were, you know, multiple times where, you know, on special teams, the, you know, they'd make a big play, recover a fumble, or the offense would, you know, they'd start at like the opponent's 40 yard line and the offense just couldn't do anything with it. You know, in the past, you know, two years ago, those would have been touchdowns probably three out of four times. You know, like you said, you look at a team like Western Kentucky or Bowling Green, you know, a lot of the top teams in the, you know, the group of five, they didn't have great defenses, but they had explosive offenses. You know, Houston, you know, the team that's going to the group of five team led with its offense. You know, Memphis led with its offense. You know, Toledo led with its offense. So, you know, we don't need the defense to be like well, we, we need the defense to be dynamic, but we just need it to be able to make functional. Linebackers be you know, functional. You know, the linebackers, I felt really bad for them because I feel like, you know, guys like Ed Ryan and Kyle Wilson, Kyrie Wilson, excuse me, and Jeff Camilli, they played their minds. They played out of their minds more often than not. But, you know, the guys in front of them just, you know, weren't able to hold up. And, you know, you can see that there's talent in the secondary still. You know, Taekwon Glass is a guy that's coming back. So we just need those guys to not necessarily be a shutdown defense, but to be an opportunistic defense that can continue to create turnovers. And we need an offense that can take advantage of those turnovers in a way that you did not see at all this year. 
Yeah, I <laughs> I was sarcastically thinking when you said they'd get the ball at the opponent's 40 and then the offense just couldn't do anything. As you're saying that, I wanted to interrupt and say, and then punt it from their own 40 on fourth. <laughs> I, I just, But that truthfully is how some of those drives felt. It started out on first down, we're just, you know, the quarterback could get sacked, and all of a sudden it's like second and 17. And then it's like they'd run a play that, that, that instead of going north and south they'd go east and west and they'd, they'd seemingly lose two or three more yards and then there'd be a procedural penalty of some kind and before you know it it's like fourth and 26 and fresno state's punting from their own 40 and it's like dude when you started this drive you had like 10 yards to go to be in field goal range exactly I think how how is this possible the middle of the pack <laughs> this year yeah i mean they, they still finished in the in the middle of the pack as far as, you know, takeaways, you know, which was the exact same number of takeaways they had last year, which was only slightly less than what they had in 2013. The big difference is that the offense fell apart in that frame of time. I forget so, you know, exactly. Got, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and that's why, you know, ultimately speaking, like I know that a lot of fans are unhappy with Nick Toth, but, you know, I sympathize with the guy because his defense for the most part, it's kind of doing what he wants it to do. You know, it's creating turnovers. It's just the fact that the offense got progressively more careless and ineffective over time. And that in turn affects the defense, which we all saw week in and week out. You know, the offense couldn't stay on the field. Therefore, the defense couldn't get off the field. And, you know, week after week, games were getting away from the Bulldogs. Yeah, and and it's just crazy how, how some of that, that stuff would come to fruition for them. And and I think there were points where you could see Fresno's ability to generate those turnovers. The intensity was there. You'd get that pressure. And, and I feel like there were many times when the Bulldog defense maybe kept them in games that it, it was just, man, if you'd even had Brad Johnson back there running the, you know, the, the, the quarterback position, maybe you win one or two of those games, uh, man, I can't remember what it, what it was, but I remember falling down laughing. Like I was reading a stat, just like, like watching something. Cause I was going through the playbook and, and I want to say that like Fresno's de- defense gave up like two different first downs on the same actual down. Like it, it the, 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 the opposing offense ran a play. Fresno committed a personal foul. Then on the next play, that, that was still considered part of the same down, they committed another personal foul. And it's just like, are you kidding? Like, how do you commit 30 yards of penalties in one play? Like, this should not be humanly possible, but they were finding ways to do this stuff. Uh, um, and, and, and I think that a lot of that stuff ultimately got in, in Fresno's way, and it was sort of, you become a victim of your own follies past a certain point, and, and you wonder how much, of this season was Fresno getting in their own way versus maybe some of the coaches getting in their way. But I think offensively, there, there was no question that Shram had to go, right? Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I even created a hashtag that failed to catch on. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's just week after week, it didn't seem like there was a lot of creativity in the play calling. It was, you know, fly fly sweep left, fly sweep right, or like, you know, counter left, counter right. It seemed like I could count on 
one hand the number of different run plays that they had throughout the season. And even when I've been thinking about how the season unfolded, you know, in the week since it ended, one thing that I thought about that, you know, they talked about, oh, you know, it comes down to execution. That's what the coaches came up with a lot. But, you know, one thing that I realized is, you know, what happened to the, you know, the running back screen game, you know, even last year when the Bulldogs were really inconsistent overall on offense, you know, they would be clicking some quarters and completely sputtering in others. You know, you were seeing Josh Kazada get like, I got to look up the numbers on this, but you were seeing him get like, you know, 43 targets or like 58 targets. And, you know, you would see Martise Waller getting, you know, 36 targets or 30 targets. And in thinking back over how the games unfolded and in looking at the stats, Martise Waller only had 28 targets all season long. So if they were talking about trying to make things easier for, you know, the quarterbacks who were shuffling in and out of the starting lineup, what happened to that kind of, you know, those kinds of easy throws? You know, we were seeing bubble screens like 20 times a game. You know, we all knew that they weren't really able to take shots down the field because all these quarterbacks were scattershot to some extent. But it was that kind of failing, I think, that's ultimately the kind of indictment that, in my opinion, forced Shram out the door. It was just like a lack of imagination. Yeah, I, I mean, people call Gus Malzahn's offense simple. Like, Gus Malzahn looks like an Albert Einstein equation, you know, board next to what Shram, whatever the hell he was doing. Uh, I, I mean, I've been saying for several years, and I know it sounds like cockiness, but but sometimes I think things are what they are in life and in sport, and people tend to overanalyze them. They, they look for deeper reasons for it not to be what it is. And, and the answers were all there for Shram. There was a steady path of demotion before he was picked up by Fresno. Everybody in the world knows that Utah was ready to fire him, uh, but 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 they allow. It was sort of like he was allowed to take the the promotion at Fresno. That really, it was you had to go. That that was basically what was going on at Utah, and and he comes into Fresno. He's gifted an NFL quarterback and an NFL wide receiver and an NFL tackle out of well maybe an NFL guard out of the gate and, and and of course you're going to win a lot of games but it was there every time we went to the press conferences Derek Carr said the same stuff or Tim DeRuiter would say the same stuff oh I, I don't know about that play you have to ask Derek and then Derek would be like oh yeah Dave called in this I checked and saw this and then I hit that and it's like it was pretty evident that Derek was running whatever the hell he wanted on offense. He wasn't really listening to Dave. And anytime that that happens, it should probably tell you that the guy who has an NFL brother and is destined to already be in the NFL and is currently kicking ass in the NFL, he probably made the difference. It wasn't whatever Dave Schramm was doing. The answers were there for me. I just, I, I, I know why they had to stick with him. I just never really saw it as anything more than it was. It's understandable, but we're here now. I guess it, the last thing that I would ask you is what do you expect from this? Maybe expect isn't the right word. You, you say optimism. Let's go hope. What, what 
do you hope for 2016? What would what would be the ideal start to to Fresno's non bowl season? Because for the first time in a while, they don't really have to worry about it. They they could probably focus on recruiting and in, in just off season workouts. So where do you go from here? Aside from an OC, well, yeah. Aside from an OC, I think you have to figure out obviously who the starting quarterback is going to be. You know, if it were me making that decision, I would probably go with Chase and Virgil, if only because I think that he has not only the highest upside, but, you know, him getting injured was kind of fluky. And, you know, in the time that he played, he showed the flashes. I think he has, I think he showed the highest ceiling. And I think he possesses the highest ceiling, if that makes sense. And I think you have to find an OC who's going to be able to bring out the best in him. You know, that may involve a little more zone read than we've been seeing. You know, I saw I know we saw it most often, especially when Kilton Anderson was running the offense. But I think you got a guy who can run that pretty effectively. You know, if you're looking at a team like, you know, Northern Illinois, for instance, you know, the the kind of success that they enjoyed under Jordan Lynch when he was the quarterback there. I think that's what you have to shoot for if you're Fresno State. You know, a team that can throw the ball when it needs to, but also has a dynamic playmaker who can, you know, run and, you know, because, you know, no matter who the OC is, you still have a young team coming back. You know, Virgil's going to be a sophomore. You know, Jameer Jordan and Keyshawn Johnson are going to be sophomores. You know, some of the guys on the line are going to be sophomores and juniors. It's still going to be a young team, but you need a guy who's going to – try, you know, who's going to bring them together and, you know, try maybe expecting a conference championship is too much or a division title is too much, but you want to be able to at least look competitive from week to week. That's my expectation for 2016. Well, uh, um, before we let you go, what I'd like to do is give you this opportunity to let people know what you have coming up. Uh, for uh, Mountain West Connection and uh, maybe in life and where they can find you on Twitter. Well, uh, you could find me on Twitter at, at MattK underscore FS. Uh, as far as what I got coming down the line at Mountain West Connection, um, I assume I'll be contributing on podcasts here and there. And you can usually tell just based looking at the articles on the website, mwcconnection.com. Um Kind of jokingly, um, maybe half serious, there's been some preliminary discussion about going down to Tucson for the Arizona Bowl. <laughs> um, because, you know, there's been a lot of consternation among Mountain West fans. Is, you know, it's kind of a joke that you get a, t- a bowl with, you know, no national TV presence, internet only with two Mountain West teams. And I kind of advocated that we should just kind of steer into the skid and embrace the weirdness. And so we were kind of talking about it on the podcast that I recorded yesterday that, oh, well, maybe you should go down there. Maybe I will. I have no idea. That's still a few weeks away. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, I'm obviously, like you, you guys, I'll be keeping an eye on the different coaching developments, you know, reacting to them as they come down the pipeline and maybe writing a little bit about basketball. I'm not entirely sure how that'll shake out, but if I do that, that'll probably be closer to the end of December. But don't forget to tell us where they can find you on Twitter. I did that at the very beginning. <laughs> oh, he did. Ah, yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I am the dingbat. I am the dingbat. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was so caught up in this Arizona Bowl thing that I was like, yes, do it. Yes, do it. <laughs> that I completely forgot you said it at the beginning. If, if and only because I want to see the live tweeting. Like, just do it for me, man. Do it for me. Uh, I will, you know what? I will, I will do my best. It'll be on my own dime, but it'll be an adventure if I do it. These things are all always an adventure man one of these days i will tell you about my uh, sun bowl adventure from 2012 um but uh lucio why don't you go ahead and wrap us up and take us into the deep blue night all right well i hope everyone enjoyed the show and uh well actually josh why don't you let them know how they can get a hold of you on uh well all your different contacts at Fight on Twist on Twitter or check out on the Barkboard, man. You, you just look for Twist. All right. And then everyone, make sure you check out uh, thebarkboard.com. We've got some good premium information on our boards. Um, Josh has posted what we call the War Room, and there's a lot of good inside information. So if you're not a subscriber right now, make sure you head on over there and become one because that is only available to our premium subscribers. Again, you can follow me at Red Wave Report on Twitter. Uh, also, check out our Facebook page because I do post some of our information on there. And, well, uh, in our next episode, I am going to be tracking down Mr. Jackson Moore so we can talk some basketball. And I believe Josh will be joining us as well. So stay tuned for that one, and we'll see everyone again next time.